Thank you. Sorry for being a diva. It's just... Do you know what I mean? It just feels weird being all the way up there. And, um, okay. <laughs> Praise God. Let's, um, let's open up our Bible, shall we? We're going to be in Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Let's wait for my iPad to start working. Luke chapter 1 and verses 39 to 45. 39 to 45. You all got that? If you don't have a Bible, um, as ever, there should be some in the pew chair in front of you. Please grab those and uh, we'll, we'll read together before we dive in. So, Lord God, as we come to your word, we recognize that this is worship. This is every bit as much worship as when we sing, as when we sit under your word. And, Lord, maybe we'd be discipled by it, Lord. We don't want to be discipled by the thoughts and opinions of mankind. Lord, we want to be discipled by what you say. Because when you speak, let every other voice be silent. The Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. So, Lord, let this word come to us today. And let us respect it, Lord. Let us honor it. Don't let us think just because we've heard it a billion times that it's got nothing to say to us. But Lord, let us be humble and receive this word. And may it really bless us today. May it really bless us lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read. I'm reading from the NLT today, I think. Now Mary arose in those days... And went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which are told her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. I just love saying that. It's true, isn't it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bam. Um, I think we can revive that one. Uh, Yeah, I don't think that was the NLT. I think that was the New King James, actually. Um, But both those translations are good for this passage, uh, so it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to make sure that my iPad doesn't switch off midway through the preach, because that that would leave me high and dry. There we go. (laughs) So, yeah, today we're, we're looking at this wonderful conversation that happens between Mary and Elizabeth. And... I think because we're all really super familiar with these passages around Christmas time, um, sometimes we can be almost kind of calloused to what they want to say to us because it's like we heard it a billion times. Um, but I want for us to just take a moment to really, really consider what's happening here. These aren't just two ladies, two common ladies having a little women's chat. These, this conversation right here is a conversation between two prophetesses, two poets. This is, this is high stuff. In fact, 
Um, Charles Spurgeon said, instead of two ordinary village women, we see before us two prophetesses and poetesses upon whom the Spirit of God abundantly rested. So let's not get caught up in tradition. You know, sometimes when we think of this, we, we, we think in of those film scenes that we've seen from great movies like The Nativity, and we just focus on that. But these are two women who were working under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they've got stuff to say to us today. The scripture says, it starts off with this phrase, in those days, in those days, Mary arose and went to Judah in haste, doesn't it? It says in those days. Well, in what days? In which days? Because it matters, doesn't it? The timing of these things. In what days did she head down, down to see Elizabeth? Would you remember last week in Sam's preach, he talked about the conversation that happened between the angel Gabriel and Mary. Well, it simply means in the following days, immediately after that happened, she went from her place in Nazareth down to the city of the hill country of Judea. And she, was, she would have been desperate to share that news with somebody. Do you know when something incredible or something really exciting has happened in your life? It's just kind of like there's just something in you that needs to share that news, isn't there? But sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes there can be little victories or real kind of amazing blessings for you that happen in your life. But sometimes you know that the immediate people around you kind of wouldn't really get it. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're in a place of work and something awesome happens to you in your personal life, but you know those people around you, they either don't share your interests or you think oh, they wouldn't really get it, especially if it's a Christian thing. You know, uh, you say you've just got born again, but you know you work in an office full of angry atheists. You're like, I really want to tell them about this. Maybe you would, but there'd be a level to which they wouldn't be able to get it, right? And I think that Elizabeth was the one person Mary knew who was going to be able to get this. She was going to be able to really appreciate it. Because there's just nothing like speaking to somebody. When you're excited about something, speaking to somebody who really gets it is just so therapeutic. <laughs> it's so therapeutic, isn't it, to sit and talk to somebody who gets it, who celebrates with you, who's excited for you. It, it actually increases that level of joy. In fact, there's a, an old Christian saying that says, happiness communicated doubles itself. Happiness communicated doubles itself. Grief grows greater by concealing. Joy grows greater by expression. When we're joyful and we shut it up, actually what can happen is the joy kind of dies. And on the other hand, when we experience grief, when we conceal that grief, the grief grows. When we share it, it decreases. Does that make sense? And so Mary's looking for somebody to really share the joy of Gabriel's visit with. She wants to tell someone what's just happened to her. And she's looking around, she's thinking, can I tell my mom and dad I'm about to have a baby? <laughs> I'm not fully married yet. Can I tell Joseph? Well, he might get the wrong idea. Can I tell my friends? Not sure they're going to be able to handle this. But Gabriel told me that Elizabeth is also pregnant. That she who was called barren is now pregnant. She's with child. She's going to get this. And so she travels across country. This is, for us, a picture of the beauty of Christian fellowship. 
it's a picture of the importance of church. And when I say church, I'm obviously not talking about the building. I'm talking about you, you all, Christians. This is a picture for us of the importance of relationships in the body of Christ. How important they are. Because Mary, for her, it wasn't convenient. Do you, do you get this? It wasn't convenient for Mary to go and hang out with Elizabeth. It wasn't a trip round the corner for her. It was a 70-mile journey through the hill country of Judea, from way up north in Nazareth, down past Jerusalem, probably down into the region by Hebron, which is south of Jerusalem. This is not easy to rain, especially not for a teenage pregnant girl. It wasn't convenient. There was a cost to it. It wasn't necessarily safe. It was dangerous. But she took that journey. All of you who were able to make it here through the snow to church today suddenly feel really good about yourselves, don't you? <laughs> but this is what we're talking about. Sometimes Christian relationships are a battle. Sometimes they can be an uphill struggle. Most of the time, forging relationships in the body of Christ is inconvenient. It's not easy. You have to pay a price. Isn't this true? How many of you have just walked into a church and suddenly been best mates with it? Nobody. Nobody has. Nobody. There has to be an investment. There has to be a pushing through in order to access these relationships. And, and I think this is what this is a picture of here. Because ultimately, in the body of Christ, we're here for one another. We're here to encourage one another. I'm here to listen to the amazing things God is doing in your life and to glory in those things with you, to enjoy those things with you. Just like you're there for me. When something great or something challenging happens in my life, you, like nobody else, is going to be able to appreciate those things and pastor me through those moments, just as I can pastor you through other moments. But these relationships, they take work. They are inconvenient. And we sometimes need to push through and to travel over many years to see a relationship really come into fruition. There'll be lots of other relationships that are way more convenient, that are much easier to maintain, that actually um, are right around the corner for us. Non-Christian friends, we, we are blessed to have so many. But in the things of the Lord, only a Christian is able to fully understand your highs and lows in your walk with God. And so I think this is a real challenge for us to follow Mary in traveling and really working to find those relationships and to get the most out of them. Yeah, J.C. Ryle was the former bishop of Liverpool. I really commend you to read J.C. Ryle. If you haven't already, he's got a book called Holiness. He looks a bit like Garth, actually. Um, he was a bishop of Liverpool back in the 1800s. And um, yeah, fantastic book called Holiness. He said this, we should always regard communion, as in fellowship that is, not taking the bread and the wine necessarily, but regard communion with other believers as an eminent means of grace. It's actually a means of grace into our lives. Just like reading the Bible is a means of grace. Just like praying is a means of grace. So is fellowship with other believers. And I often find in my life, I don't know about you, maybe you're way holier than me, 
But I've often in my life been hungry to see God move. I've been desperate to see him really touch me in a fresh way. But I've actually been ignoring the ordinary means of grace by which God worked in my life. So it's like, God, I want you to speak to me. And my Bible's lying there dusty on the shelf. Lord, I, 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 really, I really want to be part of a move of God in this city. Lord, I want to see you move in Wolverhampton. But I don't ever go to prayer meetings. You see, I'm ignoring the ordinary means of grace into my life, but standing there saying, Lord, I want to know you. Does this sit? You see how foolish that is. And many Christians ignore the ordinary means of grace into their lives. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bibles. They don't invest in Christian relationships. And they get mad with God for not showing up in their lives. We have to respect the ordinary means of grace. And do all we can to be in those means every week. So Mary arrives and greets Elizabeth. And Elizabeth hears the greeting. And we're told something amazing happens. We're told that a clump of cells in her womb moves. We're told that a pregnancy repositions it. No, we're not. We're not told that, are we? We're told that a baby in her womb leapt. Eskertese is the Greek word, which means to leap for joy. This fetus inside of Elizabeth's womb is called a baby. Not a clump of cells, not a pregnancy, a person. Clumps of cells don't leap for joy. Why am I saying this? Because over 200,000 babies every year in this country get aborted. And on every abortion website, they're never called a baby. They're called a zygote, a fetus, a pregnancy. Euphemistic to, it's a person. It's a child. Clumps of cells don't leap for joy. People leap for joy. You know that World Cup stadium that was full last yesterday? England getting knocked out? Well, two times that capacity of babies every year in this country don't make it out of the womb. Perfectly healthy babies. Did you know that only, I think it's under 1% of all abortions happen because of severe disabilities. 99% of all those aborted babies are perfectly healthy. The main cause and main reason, the main grounds for abortion in this country is ground C, which is simply that there's a perceived potential risk of a mental health issue for the mother. Now, we don't want to take that lightly. That's important. That needs to be taken care of. But does that mean we're okay to kill a child? I think this is the great moral battle of our time, and the church is asleep on it, I'm sad to say. Not all the church. There are some Christians doing great work, but there's a big uphill battle. Life in the womb is sacred. 
And this scripture is the only argument you'll ever need. It's the only argument. We don't need to go to science, even though all science, all embryology will tell you that that's a human child in there. We don't need to go to science. We've got the word of God. When God speaks, let all men be silent. And Christians, brothers and sisters, we're called, aren't we, by Jesus himself, to what to our neighbours? What do we do to our neighbours? We love our neighbours, don't we? And who's our neighbour? Who's our neighbour? Any other human. Whether they're in the womb or out of the womb. We must love our unborn neighbours because this scripture tells us something very clearly that they're a person, that they're worthy of love, that they have value, that God foreknew them in the womb. Also, Luke 1.15, just a few verses before, tells us something else about this clump of cells, quote-unquote. It tells us that it was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb was John. Again, clumps of cells don't get filled with the Holy Spirit. Pregnancies, quote-unquote, don't get filled with the Holy Spirit. People get filled with the Holy Spirit. Have I made my point now? I've made my point and I'll move on. Babies in the womb are people and they're worthy of our love and protection. So John's filled with the Holy Spirit in his womb. He leaps for joy at the presence of Jesus who by that time must have been literally a few weeks into the gestation period. We're not even talking about embryonic stage. We're talking about like zygote. It must have been tiny. You know when you're um, pregnant, if you've been pregnant before, ladies, you know you get those apps and they tell you how big, like, the, the, the baby is growing. Well, this, this is tiny. But John senses the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb and leaps for joy. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he leaps, he fills his mother with the Holy Spirit. She is then filled with the Holy Ghost. And we're about to see in this passage, very early on in the Gospel of Luke, what it looks like for someone to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens when a person is filled with the Holy Ghost? What phenomena occurs? What goes on? What attitude do they have? What things are possible when we're filled with the Spirit of God? Well, first, let me just say this. Here we've got a baby in the womb filled with the Holy Ghost. What does that tell you? It tells us no age limit on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It tells you that a child can encounter God. Even in the womb, this is beyond comprehension. Children don't get a junior Holy Spirit. They get the same one that you and I get. John leaps for joy. In fact, that word, the Greek word there, is the same Greek word used in the Old Testament to describe, you know, that passage in Psalm 114 about the mountains leaping for joy. That's the same word. This is a violent Leap for joy. This is excitement. This is passion. John leaps for joy in the womb. Let's say one thing about this. In the presence of the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there is joy. There is a fullness of joy. In the presence of the Lord, there is joy. The presence of Jesus always results 
in joy. Amen? It results in joy. And just like John in the womb, do you think John could see Jesus? No, of course he couldn't see him. He's in the womb. And Jesus is literally a little seed in his mum's tummy. He couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't touch Jesus like Thomas touched him in John chapter 20. But he still sensed the presence of Jesus and the presence of Christ still impacted him greatly. So it's a bit like us, isn't it? We can't see Jesus with our natural eyes, can we? We can't touch him with our hands, but we can encounter him through the Holy Spirit right now. We can have an encounter just as powerful as John had with Jesus because Jesus is here right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we just put our hands out right now and just remain in a place of openness to being touched afresh by the presence of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray you come even now. We want to know that powerful experience that John had afresh Lord, we want to encounter you. We want to taste of the joy of the Holy Spirit in a new and vibrant way, in a visceral way today. Lord, touch us afresh. Let your joy come, we pray. And as John leaps, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we get to hear about another outworking of the filling of the Holy Spirit right now. We've learned that the first in this passage is joy. Is the natural outflow of a Holy Spirit-filled person will be joy. The second is that Elizabeth immediately begins to prophesy. It says she speaks out or she cries out in a loud voice. And she prophesies over Mary and Jesus. When Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, prophecy begins to flow. And I don't read anywhere in the New Testament about the gift of prophecy ceasing. I don't read anywhere. I see that Paul says we've got a hunger for it. And I believe as a church that's what we've got to do, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe we've seen prophecy abused. I don't know about you, but we all probably have. We've been hurt by prophecy being abused. But that doesn't mean it's not here for today. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have purpose for it in the church today so we're called to hunger after prophecy and we're told here in Luke 1 that one of the natural outworkings of a Holy Spirit filled life is that we shall prophesy we shall prophesy and so Elizabeth prophesies over Mary and Jesus and she says blessed are you among women blessed is the fruit of your womb but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me Firstly, let's just look at this word blessed because it appears a number of times, doesn't it, in this passage. She says, blessed are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. We're going to do a little bit of a word study here quickly because I think in the English language, you know, when we use words too often, they kind of lose their meaning a bit, don't they? Like sometimes me and my girls will be sitting down watching YouTube together and they'll hear a word and they'll just repeat that word over and over again and they'll be like, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I'll just sit there and go, trousers, 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 trousers. What a weird word. 
Do you know what I mean? And we say bless you when people sneeze. We say bless you when people cough. But maybe we don't really understand what the Hebrews meant by bless you, right? Or what God meant by be blessed. So this word here in the Greek is eulogemene, eulogemene, right? You see, we have a, an English word called eulogy, don't we? That's where we get that English word from, eulogemene, right? So this word, eulogemene, in the Greek, is a word that is used to translate an old Hebrew word. An old Hebrew word called barach. Barach, okay? And let's just look at this, because I think we get the meaning best when we look at the Hebrew word Barach and what that meant. So I'll read to you from the, the LTW, which is a, a word book, a Hebrew word book. And it says, the basic meaning of the word Barach conveys the idea of declaring or enacting beneficial circumstances upon the person or object to whom the blessing is directed. So to Barach somebody is to declare or enact beneficial circumstances upon them. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, we can barach one another. I can bless you. I can say, be blessed. Okay? And there's a certain degree to which I can ensure that happens. You know, if you're my children, then to a certain degree, I can ensure that you'll be blessed. You know? I have the power to make sure that you are not living in a freezing cold house. I have the ability to work and earn money to put food on the table. I can ensure to a certain degree that you will be barached, okay? But not to the nth degree, can I? I can't, through my own power, ensure that even my own kids are going to be blessed all the time because there are limits to my ability. There are limits to my influence and my power, my resources, Not in the case of God, though. Not in the case of God, who has no limits upon his ability to bless somebody. The blessing of God is a powerful, powerful thing. When God blesses you, when you're walking in his blessing, no one can take that from you. When you're walking in the blessings of God, you remain blessed insofar as you walk in his will. We know this from Numbers. You read the book of Numbers where um, the Moabite king sees the great Israelite horde moving through the wilderness. And he gets Balaam, a prophet, doesn't he? And he says, curse them. Curse them. I don't want these people coming into my land. I want you to curse them. And so Balaam, who's supposed to be going and doing a job for Balak, he stands up and he tries to curse the people of God, who God has blessed. And we read in Numbers 23, 7 and 8, And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. But how can I curse what God has not cursed? How can I denounce who the Lord has not denounced? And again, he tries again and again and again to curse Israel. 
In fact, in Numbers 23.20, he says, God has blessed and I cannot reverse it. That's how powerful God's blessing is when it lands upon you. God's blessings are irrevocable. Now, before somebody shouts at me, what about Esau? Wasn't he in a position to be blessed? And he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And what about these same Israelites who were under the blessing of God, but in a few hundred years are going to be in captivity in Assyria and in Babylon? How is that the blessing of God? Surely they walked out of the blessing. Well, that's true. That's true. We read in Deuteronomy 28, 27 or 28, the curses and the blessings. Have you read that passage? I encourage you to read that passage. It starts out with all the blessings that will be upon God's people if they shall follow his laws. And they're incredible. They're incredible. It's literally like a perfect health zone. <laughs> health for your kids, health for you, prosperity in your work. Everybody, all your enemies are going to have nothing to do against you. They're not going to be able to rise against you because of the blessing of God that is upon you. It's an incredible list of things that the blessing of God accomplishes for his people. But you know, for every blessing promised in the start of that chapter, there's an equal and opposite curse. A curse not just from anywhere, but from God for his people when they choose to disobey him, when they choose to rebel against him. And in fact, the list of curses is longer than the list of blessings. So it's true that God's blessings are powerful, that they come upon people, that they actually are manifest. When you're walking in the blessing of God, it looks like something. It's a powerful thing. However, God's blessings to his people Israel were dependent upon their conduct they were dependent on their obedience to him they couldn't walk in rebellion against God but remain blessed by God and this is one of the quandaries of our time isn't it in this age we want to have our cake and eat it we want to live like the world we want to live in sin we want to live for ourselves but we still want the blessing of God we still want him to show up and make our lives look great, but we don't want his law. We don't want his ways. We don't want to submit to what he says. Well, the Israelites found out how that ends. But I've got, new, I've got good news for you. Because just as it's true that the blessings of God come upon those who are obedient, not, the, not those who rebel, There is one person who has lived a fully obedient life in every single iota of God's law. There is one person whose obedience never failed, not once, who lived according to every single one of God's laws, who lived not just in sinlessness but in righteousness. He lived a life in the black, not in the red like you and I. And that certain person... That second person of the Trinity had taken on flesh and become the fruit of Mary's womb, as Elizabeth calls her. So Mary was blessed 
because of Jesus. She was blessed on account of him. Her blessing was in and through the fruit of her womb. And what's amazing is this. I can promise you this. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian today, you are blessed like no person in the Old Testament could be. You're blessed like the people of Israel couldn't be. Because your blessing isn't just around Christ or near Christ. Your blessing is Christ. Your blessing is in Him. It's in Him. A Christian is somebody who is in Christ. In Him. We read that in Ephesians 1.3. All praise to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So if you're in Christ today, if you believe in him, if he is your Lord, if he's your savior, if you've given your heart to him and you trust him, then your blessing is irrevocable. It can't be lost. You can't have it taken from you. Because if you're in Christ, you're in his blessing. You receive what is his. And I think it counts a lot for us to recognize that. Because Ephesians says, doesn't it? It says all these blessings are what? Physical? Financial? No, they're spiritual. They're spiritual. And they're in Christ. And we're blessed with every single one of them because we're in Christ. Him. So we can know today that we're walking in the blessings of God. You can say to yourself right now, I am blessed. Even if you don't feel blessed. Even if when you look at your bank account, it doesn't look super blessed. But you can say, I am blessed. I am walking in the blessing of God. Even if you fouled up yesterday, you messed up, you said something wrong, you didn't do very well uh, in a conversation with somebody and left them feeling damaged or hurt. You can still say, even though you slipped up yesterday, that you're blessed because your blessings are in Christ. They're in him. They're irrevocable. And they're not going anywhere anytime soon. We're blessed. Just as Mary was blessed. And then we read Elizabeth saying to Mary, how is it that the mother of my Lord comes to me? She's amazed that Mary would visit her. And she calls, she knows. I mean, Mary hasn't even said to her, by the way, I'm pregnant. She hasn't told her anything, has she? So this is a word of knowledge. She says, how blessed am I that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me. Even though Elizabeth was the older, Elizabeth was married to a priest. Mary was just some young girl from up north in Galilee. But it's Mary who receives the honor. It's Mary who gives Elizabeth the privilege of her presence. Charles Spurgeon said, Those that are filled with the Holy Ghost have low thoughts of their own merits and high thoughts of God's favors. Those who are filled, truly filled with the Holy Spirit have low thoughts of themselves and high thoughts of God. I think that's great. When we're filled with the Spirit, 
There is joy. There are the supernatural outflowings of the gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy, words of knowledge. But there's humility. There's humility. Where you see those three things, you can tell God's really moving. You can tell he's moving. Where there's humility, you know that's the Lord. Somebody who knows they're a recipient of salvation. That they didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. And they are overcome by the grace of God. That's somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And she says this to Mary. She says, blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed. This is another element of Mary's blessing. You remember we read, I think, about Zacharias. I remember if we read that passage last week. But remember how Zacharias questions Gabriel as to how this is going to happen. And Gabriel says, well, you're going to be remain dumb now until uh, your child comes along. To paraphrase. Whereas Mary says, how will this be? But there's no rebuke for her. She believed. She had a faith. And Elizabeth says, you're blessed because you believe. You are believing. In fact, that's a participle there. The believing one. Okay, She was currently believing in the words of God. And this is what made her blessed. Because the truth is, had Mary simply received Jesus into her womb, but not received him into her heart as Lord and Savior, we wouldn't be able to truly say she'd be blessed, would we? Mary, just as you or I, had to receive Christ by faith. And we know from this that she was a woman of faith. She was a believer in the word of God. She believed in the fruition of his words to her. Spurgeon said, believing souls are blessed souls and will be found so at the last. This blessedness cometh through faith. Even the blessedness of being related to Christ and having him formed in the soul They are blessed who believe the word of God, for that word will not fail them. There shall without doubt be a performance of those things which are told her from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there shall be a performance of the things promised to you from God. There shall be a fruition of promise in his words. His words are not wishful thinking. This faith is not make-believe. We stand on the solid rock of God's word. We can be sure that all he promises to us will come to pass. Amen? Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 to finish with says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite Eddie and uh, Ant back up. We're going to sing together a final song before we close. Oh Lord God, we are so thankful that today we are blessed. We are blessed of God. You have barached us. 
through your son Jesus Christ. And because of that, we know even when we slip up, we are still within the blessing because of what Jesus has done for us. And we pray, Lord, today that just as Mary believed in the word that you spoke to her, that we too would believe in the gospel. We would believe in the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. We would believe that you love us, that you sent your son for us, that you have a plan and a future and a hope for us, no matter what we might be facing this week. We pray we would believe you at your word. And as we go from this place, Lord, let us remember. Let us remember, just as Mary remembered, just as Mary believed, that you are faithful, that you have not forgotten us, that you are with us, and we can trust in you. If any of you would like prayer for anything at all, it may be you are struggling with some of these things. Maybe you've been in a season of doubt and would like prayer for that. We'd love to pray for you. I'll happily pray for you. Maybe you've come today and you've got something going on. Maybe you need prayer for healing. Again, we'd be happy to pray for you over here in this corner. Otherwise, let's stand now as honour the Lord and, and sing a final song together. Mm-hmm.